the best-selling compliance handbook by compliance evangelist and compliance podcast network founder tom fox has been updated revised and improved in its new second edition this new podcast series will build upon the best nuts and bolts compliance handbook around to provide you the best information on implementing and enhancing a best practices compliance program Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Welcome back to another episode of the Compliance Handbook. And you are in for a real treat today because I'm in for a real treat today. And I'm thrilled to have with me my good friend, Vince Walden. I've known Vince, uh, I'm not quite sure how long, but Vince was one of the first people I came across who really talked about uh, not simply data, but using data in a compliance program. So I asked Vince if he might be able to uh, visit with me a little bit about what he's seen in the growth and use of data and data analytics. So Vince, first of all, for that incredibly long-winded uh, introduction, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Tom, thank you. Glad to uh, be on the show as always. So what's your current role, Vince? So I'm, I'm currently with uh, Alvarez and Marcel's Disputes and Investigations Practice based in New York and have been there coming up on uh, two years now. Uh, so tell us a little bit, you're not a lawyer, so tell us a little bit about your professional background. Yeah, <laughs> no, not not quite a lawyer. I work with lots of them or sometimes play one on TV. Now, I grew up, you know, in the accounting world, uh, got my, you know, got my CPA license with Arthur Anderson back in the day, uh, you know, rode the Enron ship down with Arthur Anderson and then um, started my career you know doing uh, left arthur anderson right before enron hit and started a dot com and it's funny i raised a half million bucks through my old west coast usc network friends and mentors i spent a half a million bucks and thank god i sold the company for a half million bucks during the dot com boom so that's kind of a funny story uh went right back to nice safe arthur anderson six months before enron hit and then the rest is history um, but then had been in big four ever since KPMG acquired our practice. And then I left for EY um, in 2006, moved to Texas, made partner at EY in 2011, all the way to had a great run until 2019 where I joined A&M. So in a nutshell, been doing everything from damages and disputes to e-discovery uh, to forensic data analytics, which was really the key differentiator in my career. Uh, when FCPA started taking off back in 2009 um, and enforcement started taking off, I developed analytics to support that. And that essentially helped me make partner at EY. So Vince, I've known a, a couple of folks like you who started out perhaps more in the fraud arena, but were pretty uh, quickly able to see the strategies, tools, and even techniques you used in fraud detection and prevention really applied to compliance. I was wondering if you maybe could talk about that journey and how that led to data and data analytics and compliance. You know, I think that's what happened. You know, we could all agree now that there were so much, you know, compliance was all about all of a sudden, you know, rewind 10 years, compliance was all about policies and procedures. Um, and, you know, companies and council would be hired to develop those policies and procedures. But the big gaffe gap often was how do you measure compliance effectiveness what are the metrics what's the accounting data and you know not just simply did you take a training or not but how do you measurably demonstrate compliance effectiveness and through concepts like risk scoring and actually testing of the transactions looking for improper payments um, you know what always would scratch my head 
is and frustrate me was that there was so much work done to build proactive compliance programs but when you investigated when a company was investigated for fcpa what was the first thing that they asked for they wanted emails and they wanted the payments transactions and you know why weren't we looking at those proactively and that's really what drove my interest in building proactive compliance programs because I saw so many FCPA investigations where that's you know finding those improper payments were what they were making and breaking the cases and why can't we proactively look at that and that was really what would drove a lot of my passion for building out these compliance program models. Vince, when you started with these models, were you talking to sort of your CPA or internal audit colleagues in-house? Were you talking to the outside counsel who were perhaps leading an investigation? Or were you talking to in-house lawyers, uh, someone like myself, either in the general counsel's office or the compliance officer? How did you sort of have that discussion about data and using data analytics to help uh, ameliorate some of the frustrations you were feeling? Yeah, you know, 10 years ago, the audience, my audience was always internal audit. And within good, well-organized companies with solid compliance programs, I often saw compliance sitting in the same room with internal audit. You know, we would have a anti-fraud or FCPA analytics kind of discussion. Um, internal audit was there and they would bring compliance. Or we'd have it with compliance and they would bring internal audit. Because internal audit understood the books and records. Compliance understood the legal risks, and really the magic was when the two worked together. That's how it started. Um, and over the years, we've seen compliance become more mature, um, particularly over the last two to three years. They've become more mature and actually getting familiar with accounting or understanding what procure to pay is and payments and how invoices work and you know and how ERP systems like SAP or Oracle work. And really that's the game changer. And I think the DOJ guidance that came out uh, back in June of 2020 that we all know about, um, that was very accelerating. Uh, that accelerated a lot of the proactive discussions. And even I think earlier just this month, the June 3rd, I mean, even Biden did that announcement on you know, in, you know increasing FCPA enforcement or making it a focus. So I think we still got a long ways to go, but compliance professionals will become more data driven as time goes on. Vince, were, when you were at EY, you were uh, either leading or part of a team uh, that did several fairly high profile projects around proactive use of data analytics, not simply coming in after the fact and trying to figure out what happened. I was wondering if you could maybe describe generally a couple of the big projects that are in the public record that uh, you worked on and how you were able to use those to not only convince your client to use them, but really help educate an audience of CCOs who have a legal background like myself. Yeah, and I had worked with um, several companies, uh, particularly in the pharmaceutical space, in the manufacturing space, wrote articles and collaboration articles with companies like GE and Johnson & Johnson. Uh, but perhaps one of my, my favorites, um, and I was just talking to my friend Matt Galvin this morning, <laughs> uh, was with AB InBev, Anheuser-Busch InBev's BrewRight platform. Uh, which started out back in, gosh, 2016 and continued to grow. And that was an example of a compliance platform, which again, my dream scenario is build the platform, train the team, get them self-sufficient and operational and phase out and let them run with it. And they did that with spades and, and they've taken it 
almost to a life of their own now, um, where that was one probably that got a lot of recognition. A lot of people familiar on your show have heard of, of, of InBev's BrewRight platform and the risk scoring platform. Um, what's interesting now is that platform, along with other companies, um, will be are thinking about this data sharing consortium. And I don't want to get off topic, but the idea of companies sharing their risk algorithms without having to share their data to build a better, more proactive data-driven compliance program and sharing best practices is something really exciting to me. And um, it's something that I know Matt Galvin is quite passionate about and building out with other compliance officers uh, in other industries. Vince, you mentioned the Department of Justice and Starting in 2017, uh, back with Leslie Caldwell in speeches, she started talking about data, data yep. analytics. Then later, there was the original evaluation of corporate compliance programs, uh, largely written by Wei Chen, which was released in February of 2017. Later in um, uh, 2019, we had the uh, update to the evaluation, and then you mentioned the 2020 update. Each one of those documents, and even starting back with uh, Leslie Caldwell's speech, talk, proactively talked about using data. And uh, did this change the reception you were getting in the marketplace when the DOJ started talking about data, data analytics, and the CCO having access to data lakes in a company? Yeah, you know, I think the, the June 2020, the most recent guidance that's out, was probably the most profound from a data-driven perspective because it specifically said, and again, I'm not quoting from memory here, but but you know, do you have sufficient access to operational transactional data sources? And that, you know, that was spot on. In fact, you know, as someone who's passionate about data analytics and you know, doing a little bit of marketing myself, I could not have written a better marketing document for me, <laughs> for me getting the message out. I mean, the DOJ did a great job nailing it. Uh, it was, you know, unequivocal. This is what they want, and uh, so I reference that quite often. So, and again, previous versions were good, but they didn't really directly say transactional data and do you have access to it, and not just point in time, but continuous. And that really stressed the proactive nature that was in the, 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 the most recent guidance that made a difference. The other thing, if I could add real quick, Tom, interesting note, I know, you know our, your audience and mine too on my podcast show, which you helped me found, um, is, was really compliance professionals. In the accounting world, there's COSO, Committee of Sponsoring Officers, Committee of Sponsoring Officers, COSO is Committee of Sponsorship Organizations. I messed that up. But um, if you read the COSO Fraud Risk Management Guide that was de developed by the ACFE and the Institute of Internal Audit, you know, COSO had input, ACFE had input, a whole bunch of bodies had input, and you read the DOJ guidance, it's, it's not word for word the same, but if you read the categories of must have a risk assessment, must have governance, those two documents almost read the same. And it's interesting to note, Attorneys haven't really read the COSO Fraud Risk Management Guide, and accountants really haven't read the DOJ guidance. And gosh, they say the same things. And um, to me, it's just really, it's a profound that the two talk. And um, because I think, you know, and, and the two work together to build that data-driven platform. So I wouldn't just say the DOJ is an important thing. The COSO guidance is also important. So sorry if I it's digress. It's interesting there. you reference. <laughs> No, no, it's interesting you referenced COSO because I read that 
year after it came out in September of 2014. And when I read it, I said, my, literally, uh, it was like I had my uh, road to Damascus moment and the uh, scales fell from my eyes. And I yeah. said, who wrote okay. this? This is for compliance. Right. Where did this come from? Right. Well, um, <laughs> I was one of the co-authors, but I, but it was really a group of about 20 people, both in anti-fraud accounting and compliance coming together. Um, so it's a great document and, and, and it reads just like the DOJ. Right. Well, let me, let me take, uh, take us uh, to where we are, where you are rather now, Vince, because you'd mentioned you'd go, gone over to A&M and you've created actually some very interesting tools at A&M. Uh, so could you tell us about the tool you created and how it can be used in one of the most interesting proactive manners? Yeah, you know, interesting. In my prior experience in the big four, it was difficult to develop platforms and get the investment that I needed to build those proactive compliance monitoring platforms to the scale and level that I needed to. And it's been, I, it, I've just been having a ball over the past two years, I'll say building my dream platform. Um, I'm working with um, some companies now that have allowed me to pull this, to, to pull the kind of that dream compliance monitoring platform together. In fact, we'll be announcing our relationship with a company called Spectrum Data Science and um, and building what, what we're branding as the digital twin service, um, A&M Digital Twin. And what that allows us to do is cost effectively, and that's key, cost effectively pull in client relevant payments data, risk score and prioritize every month in a cost effective way. And really what that means is what used to take me 300 plus hours of staff time to pull payments data out of a system, do all the mathematical gymnastics, put it in a database and build out reports, now takes me less than 30 hours. So imagine that's a 10X reduction in time, which is also a 10X reduction in fees. So I can do this super cost effectively, sometimes for less than 25K to get the data online and running um, for you know, an entire organization and then refresh it monthly on an automated basis. Now, we can do it in the cloud, we can put it on site with clients. And so one of the things I'm having a, a great time with is um, working with clients to get them on this platform um, and being able to benchmark and show month to month improvements. And if we see something risky, it gets flagged. If we see it improving, like, you know, obviously we, that's a great thing. Um, and we call this kind of that continuous compliance monitoring, I think, which is just in line with what I think the DOJ is setting in their in their guidance. What's been the reception in the marketplace for you, Vince? Um, it's been great. Every time that I show this to clients, it's, oh my gosh, I want it. <laughs> uh, you know, let me, let me put this in place. And so um, I think it's been very positive. It's just a function of getting, you know, as we get out of post-COVID, companies wanting to allocate the resources and the time. But again, as I stressed, it doesn't take a lot of time. It takes, you know, maybe a couple hours a month of compliance officer or, you know, compliance team review time because it's basically answers the question, who are my top 20 riskiest vendors? Who are my top 20 riskiest employees? Or who are, what are my top 15 to 20 riskiest transactions and why? What risk triggers are they hitting? And then, Find me more like this based on as I tag and have case management, you know, find me statistically similar transactions next time so the system can learn. 
Um, it's kind of everything I wanted in my <laughs> in a compliance platform. So Vince, as you look down the road into 2025 and beyond, are there any trends you see that the compliance function, the CCO, or compliance professionals really need to be aware of going forward? Um, you know, I'm I'm really excited about that concepts concept of a consortium. I really think that's where it's going to go. Um, it's something that I know Matt Galvin is pushing it with the BrewRight platform, and he's bringing in other com companies and technology companies. Um, I think by the time this airs, it will be announced that he's got Wei Chen on the board of that consortium to help form it and steer it in the right direction, um, and get bring in you know he's bringing on some really good industry leaders to convince them to anonymously and safely share their findings and observations into a centralized repository such that they can benefit from the schemes and the risk triggers that other companies might be suffering from so that we all learn and then we can all improve so that you know hey what's the risk algorithm for predicting a risky or government entity let's say what what are those algorithms you know regardless of the industry i think that consortium concept by 2025 will be quite mature i think it's kind of a 2022 thing that's going to start and for companies, particularly in the Fortune 500, we'll see more of those start up. Um, I think data-driven compliance is here to stay. Um, I think attorneys will become more familiar with accounting concepts, and accountants will become more familiar with legal and risk you know, concepts. Um, and I think that, but the future overall looks very bright for uh, legal and compliance professionals because the technology proportion brings a lot of transparency and visibility in the business that other business functions will recognize um, in terms of business transparency and maintaining an integrity environment. Vince, we're uh, unfortunately coming up near the end of our time, but before we get to the end, I wanted to ask you, um, you do have a podcast, it's on the Compliance Podcast Network, it's appropriately named The Walden Pond, but what I'm really intrigued with, what have you gotten out of that podcast? Uh, not simply, you know, what do your listeners get, but I find the um, uh, satisfaction in, in what I receive from talking to people is, is as much as anything. But I wanted to ask you, what have you gotten out of your podcast? Uh, well, thank you, Tom. And and again, that was, you know, back in 2019, I think you you were the one to suggest it. You helped me produce it. And uh, here I am, I think 35 episodes later, um, still running strong. And I think the funnest part was the ability to talk to really interesting people. I think, you know, being part of the, you know, having the Walden Pond on compliance and being on the Compliance Podcast Network has given me access to people from some great companies that um, I wouldn't have ordinarily been able to kind of just talk to out of the door. And um, it's allowed me to interview some fascinating people on some really interesting topics. And to me, again, this sounds kind of shallow, but I get the biggest high when one of my podcast shows, you know, gets 2,000 or 3,000 views or lots of likes. And I know that people are listening to it and enjoying it. And um, so for those, uh, you know, those that want to welcome me on the pond, um, I'll be waiting for you. We're going to link to uh, the Walden Pond in the show notes as well, Vince, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information about any of the topics you've talked about or even the, the tools you've developed uh, at A&M. Where could they go? 
Um, they can certainly email me. I'd love to hear from the audience. Um, vwalden at alvarezandmarcel.com. You can also Google um, the Walden Pond on compliance to get access to the show and my contact information's there. Um, or, um, or Google A&M Digital Twin. I think we're uh, two or three links just below. I think GE owns the domain of Digital Twin, but uh, but you'll see uh, A&M Digital Twin for more information on some of the analytics things that we're working on as well. Well, Vince, uh, as I said, I really wanted to do this interview with you for quite some time. I'm really thrilled that we were able to uh, to get it scheduled and get it done. And uh, I hope that uh, perhaps I can call upon you again for uh, where we might be down the road. Always a pleasure, Tom, and uh, wish you the best. And uh, and again, we have a, I love our audience. Again, we kind of share the same audience on the Compliance Podcast Network. We've got, it's a dynamic profession and people are always quite interested and enthusiastic. So um, always a pleasure. This is Tom Fox. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Compliance Handbook. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and tune in next week. Until then, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks again, and I look forward to visiting with you again.